I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to a very special Christmas Day edition of Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. So to all our listeners out there, whatever it is that you celebrate, happy holidays. And hey, if you want to get me something, because we're going to get you a a special episode for for the holidays, if you want to get me something, well, please just go ahead and nominate a teacher in your life, someone who's inspired you to be on our show, because again... Our listeners nominate every single guest that we have on. You guys make this show possible. So if you want to do that, send us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu. Tell us about someone that you had, someone you know, someone who inspired you. They could be on our next episode. Our episode today is with Rod Janant. He's a fourth grade teacher at Forreston Grade School, and he's been teaching fourth grade for over 40 years. He's taught kids, he's taught the kids of those kids, and and maybe even the kids of those kids before all is said and done. We talked about that, about the lack of men teaching grade school, how to create a safe and comfortable classroom for kids in a time that it's so hard to feel safe and comfortable anywhere, and about one of his teaching mantras. Is I want them to know that we don't learn for the moment. We don't learn for today. We learn for what can I take from this to help me through the rest of my life's journey. We're going to keep things nice and simple on today's episode, but I did want to share some really cool news in the teacher's lounge world, which is that last week I wrote a story about how schools are getting creative to keep holiday traditions alive during the pandemic. And as part of it, I got to highlight a holiday show slash music video put on by Spectrum School in Rockford. That story aired on NPR stations across the country on Morning Edition, which is awesome, but unfortunately, Morning Edition owns the audio, so I can't play it here. But I can tell you that you can go over to WNIJ.org, and you can find the link in our show notes. Or you can just Google, schools work around the pandemic to provide holiday concerts, or Peter Medlin NPR. If you try to find it, you can find it pretty easily. All right, well, without any further ado, let's just dive into my conversation with fourth grade teacher, Ajanant. Hey, oh man, this is the second episode in a row we've had like a great classroom background and now you've got all the Christmas decorations behind you. I love it. Well, thank you. Yes, I try to make it look like home in here. So (laughs) do you have, are people learning remotely? Is it hybrid now? Do people get to come in and enjoy the Christmas uh, decorations or what is the situation right now where you're at? In Forreston, we have um, both in-person and remote. I have 20 students in my homeroom, and I have 18 of them are in-person, and two are remote. Two are remote. So I, we teach both at the same time. So do you have them kind of Google Meetsing, Zooming in type of thing? Yes, they, zo- they, they come on on Zoom, they join us that way, and yes, that's the way it works for our fourth graders. So Yeah. Yes, yeah, so yeah, it, it is, I mean, I, we try to make it as, as a normal year as we possibly can. So yeah, we made Christmas decorations. The Zoomers joined in and I sent everything home and they made it from home and then they send them in and hang them up in the room too. So, so they feel like they're a part of being here. So did you guys do the paper snowflakes and all that? That was always a fan favorite in my high school growing up or my school growing up high school. (laughs) They're still here. So yes, (laughs) that's fantastic. You know, Rod, one of the things I was thinking of today when I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking about it was when I first started the show, and I think this is the 37th maybe episode, so we've had quite a bit now, like more than a year. Okay. When I launched the show, I thought we were going to get a lot of like grade school teachers, like first, second, third, fourth grade teachers. And the first 
educator we ever had on the show. The very first episode is a second grade teacher. And we haven't had a grade school teacher since. Oh, really? Oh, this is like the perfect world. I love elementary. Right? And I, I don't know why. Because I, 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 I think that in my mind, I was like, you know, the show is about educators who have inspired, like people, I think the, the idea is that educators are a unique profession that almost everyone has a story about an educator that's inspired them in some way, right? Which like, we don't, we can't necessarily say for like electricians. <laughs> <laughs> and in my mind was like, you know, people are going to remember those first teachers that really, you know, put them on the path where they're going or inspired them to, you know, reach for the skies, that thing. But for some reason, it's, we've, we've had, all, we've ran the whole gamut of other, you know, classes, grade levels, all that stuff. So I was really excited that we have some more elementary level. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. We stay connected to the students when they graduate and get to high school. But you you definitely know they have taken those students through different directions that are really important to them right now. And so they do, not that they forget about it. It's a little more fresh in their mind though, right? Yes. so... That, that has got to be interesting for you, though, at fourth grade, when you've had the chance now over the years to keep in contact with people as they get older, right? Yes. And I know I, 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 my mom is the same way. My mom uh, teaches kindergarten and she teaches middle school now. But, you know, those first kids that she had in kindergarten are however old now. And like when you reach back out to them and, and have a conversation with someone that you taught 15, 20 years ago, like how quickly in that conversation you're like, oh, yeah, that's the same person. <laughs> It is, you know, I, one of the highlights always for me is when I get invited to their life's events, hmm. invited to a lot of their weddings. And I mean, I hadn't had them for a long time, but it, that, that's just, that just kind of fulfills my dream for these kids. Now I get to see them as adults moving on. And right. just, I'm so glad I can keep that close connection. Not with all of them. Some of them, they're here and then they're gone and I never hear from them again, but you know, there's a lot of events that I that I still see them at, and and I love that they come up. Hey, Mr. G, remember me? And I you know, so, <laughs> right, you get to since I had them <laughs> close the loop a little bit on it, right? That's awesome. Have you had? Because you've been at Forreston for how long now? This is my 42nd year here. 42nd year. Is there an end in sight, or are we just going to keep pushing on? Um, there is not an end in sight just yet. I know that it's getting closer. Um, I am hoping that when it's time, I will know that. But I, I'm not ready yet. Uh, this is still uh, just as strong a passion for me now as it was then. And when I started my career, and I just don't see the end yet. So that's good. If the year of COVID doesn't do it, then that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> That's true. I mean, maybe in some way it's almost like invigorating for you because everything you've been maybe falling into habits, you do things a certain way. And then like, how about we just blow that up for, you know, however many months do you have to rethink the thing? So maybe in a way it's kind of uh, reorienting as an educator. I don't know. It, it is. You know, it's we find things that we enjoy. And all, first off, I have to teach what I enjoy. Right. And so that helps me to bring the passion in. I have to also stay true to the curriculum. But it should be ever-changing. It shouldn't be constant. It shouldn't be where it can become a rut. So I try to change things up all the time uh, just, just to help me stay fresh. Yeah. This year, of course, has really pushed me to look at things in a new way. How else can I teach that? How else can we practice that? And, you know, some of the things that we're experiencing this year 
are very positive changes that I think are going to guide this profession and this great journey of education on. So it's oh, really? not bad. It's not all negative. Are there any ones that stick out to you that like that's a you know, I think that's going to stick with us long after the pandemic ends? Well, there there are ways that I'm finding myself connecting the children that I, I want. I don't want them to dwell on the pandemic, but I want them to see how that does affect their life. And, and it, it is important for us to know about. So there are times that I try to work in other um, situations like that. Yeah. That would allow them to connect this to people throughout time have dealt with this and yet our our civilizations our cultures still have continued on so i found my way i found ways to try to incorporate some of that into my i only teach that only i teach the ela classes i teach reading writing grammar and spelling so it's a great way to get stories involved and i'm encouraging my students to tell their story of what it was like to live in the pandemic as I said, in their in their future, they're going to be telling about this. They're, right now, we're writing, we're reading other people's stories about living through a, a disaster or an occurrence or an historical event, and this is going to be theirs. Um, you know, the 9/11. These guys weren't here for 9/11. That generation went through of how that uh, affected me or my family. So that's what these guys are going to be dealing with, and I'm trying to help them to to see how to tell that story with passion. Yeah, I, I think about that too. Like, yeah, like for my generation, it was 9-11 and everyone that's around my age has a, where were you that morning? What were you doing? And can, can recall that right away, right? I think it is interesting as an educator, to, especially with fourth grade students, of trying to see what that balancing act is of how much you engage and talk about something like COVID-19, something like the pandemic, where, you know, if you don't acknowledge it at all, you're like, that's kind of malpractice because how could you not? Because like, look around, like there's people zooming, zooming in. It's pretty obvious what's happening. But on the other end, you like you don't want to dwell on it or, you know, everyone already understands kind of the gravity of the situation. So it's how do we do that in a way that is like beneficial, like you said, like something that is part of the story that they can tell about the situation instead of just like, I'm going to read off news headlines for 45 minutes <laughs> and we could stare at each other. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> Finding that balance that is so important. You don't, again, you don't want them to dwell on it all the time. But you know, one thing about working with nine and 10 year olds is they accept, if they trust the adult that's in front of them, if they have a relationship with the adult in front of them, they trust us through this. And they, these students are just handling it so well. You know, we hear from people who aren't in the schools and they say, well, how are they handling the mask? And how are they? You know what? It's a non-issue. They 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 sense that we know it's important. They follow our examples, and it is just—it's amazing how well it is really going. Um, because again, if you built that relationship and trust, and they know it's important, they follow us. So yeah. So yeah, it, school is seems really very normal. Does it? With, with the exceptions of you know. Uh, zooming and all of that sort of thing but we really are trying to have as normal a school year as possible yeah it's pretty amazing how quickly you can acclimate to a situation like this right and i think it, you saying that about nine and ten year olds reminds me i don't know if i've told this story on the podcast before but it actually is kind of an interesting connection that i have to education that way when i was a senior in high school i was in a sports medicine class and i was going to be a physical therapist right and so I, I had to intern and job shadow at physical therapy clinics. 
And I did one and the physical therapist was like, Peter, don't be a physical therapist. <laughs> and I was like, fair enough. It was a, you know, it's a go to school for seven years, whatever. And so basically the thing is that I had to find somewhere for my senior year to intern at and it wasn't going to be there. And so I ended up interning and working, helping teach fourth and fifth grade uh, gym class at the school district that I grew up in, which I'm from Sandwich, Illinois. And so I spent the whole year helping with fourth and fifth grade gym class, and I, I loved it. And I thought there was something super unique about that specific age range, because I think it hits a really nice sweet spot of they're old enough to where they know what they're doing, they can do things on their own, they feel confident about accomplishing the tasks on their own, but they're also not quite old enough to where they've mastered the like sarcasm and all of that of like once they've really gotten into middle school and kind of that age range. So for me, it like hits like kind of a sweet spot of old enough to really know what they're doing, but young enough to where they haven't quite in, uh, gotten really mean to me all the time, right? I, I, when I first decided to go into education, a lot of people would say, what do you want to teach? And of course, as a guy back in the 70s, um, it was you, they, you, I was being led into junior high and high school because that's where men teach, you know, men taught. Yeah. Teach at those grades. And, and I'm like, no, I, I don't think I want that. I, I'm not opposed to that, but I'd rather have. So my two choices I always had was either fourth grade or kindergarten. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because I wanted to be there at that beginning, uh, you know, of when they first came into that school and I wanted to be part of that. But then as I was looking into fourth grade and practicing at fourth grade a little bit more, I found it, you're right, it's that age where they're, they start to become much more independent. They don't rely, and, and they're willing, they want to go on their own, but they don't really have the attitude that comes somewhat when they get a little older. <laughs> so it, I think it's the perfect age to be working with. So what, you know, going back to that era, what was it that got, has education always been something that you were drawn to? Was this something that from a younger age you wanted to get into or was it a passion that developed later on? When, my, when I was young, I, I was, I'm such an animal person. I always wanted to be a zookeeper. And then I realized, no, that's not probably going to happen. Uh -huh. So when I, when the bug bit me was I was in junior high and I was in a reading class. And I love to read. I've always loved to read. It's been a passion from me from the beginning. But I didn't connect to the stories as much until I had a junior high teacher that when I was in her classroom, the story was just, it just came alive. And I, you just feel it and you, you sense that you were there. And I'm like, this is amazing. I want to do that. I want to be able to do that with kids too. So in junior high is when I um, decided I wanted to go into education and I wanted to be elementary. Uh, I, that, that age has always interested me. I try to do a lot of experiences with 4-H groups and local organizations that work with young children. I just find them so interesting. And so that's what I, I pushed on from there. I was led a lot of times away from elementary because again, kind of like, well, that's where the women teach. And I'm like, you know, I went to interviews back in the seventies and they're like, well, don't you really want a junior high job or a high school job? I'm like, no, I really want, well, we don't really have men at elementary. And I'm like, well, maybe it's time to, to do that. And, 
one sad note, I guess, I wish we still had more. I'm, I'm the only male elementary teacher in our district right now. Really? We've had others. Um, I wish more uh, men would go into this. Yeah, I mean, even thinking about myself and, and what my experience was growing up in my small school district, I don't remember there being a male teacher until I was in fifth grade. I don't remember even seeing one, you know, in the district. Right. I last year, we, you know, it's it's a well-known fact that teacher shortages are coming. And they're here. Yeah. It's hard to fill these positions. And so one thing our district has done is to really try to encourage our high schoolers to look into that. So last year they started to job shadow. If you were thinking of going into education, they allowed you to go into the classroom. And so a young man um, from our high school, he came into my room every day for about a half hour. And he, he's, he's, as far as I know, he is still pursuing a career in elementary education. And it's just, it was so, it, that was such a joyous time to share this with another, you know, a young man who was thinking about going into this too. So I'm hoping that more young men consider this because the children need it. They need to see um, that everyone cares about their development at all ages. So, yeah, yeah, I'd love to see it. When you were in middle school, when that bug first first uh, bit you there, and you were thinking about that atmosphere that she that the teacher created for you, could you pinpoint what exactly she was doing when you were trying to recreate that? Is it just is it a like is it a specific set of things, or is it just kind of an energy or kind of a vibe that you bring to the classroom? It's definitely an energy. You you have yeah. to be full of energy if you're going to be in front of young people. <laughs> yeah, sure. But you you have to you have to think of the big picture. It's so easy for us to focus on a specific skill and that kind of gets narrow-minded to the sure. student. You have to be able to let them to see that skill happen around them. And so through a story, there's, there's just nothing more interesting to me than a tremendous story. And so you do the buildup and, and actually the teacher that, that was my teacher when, when I went into the, or decided to go into this profession, she stayed teaching in this district. I actually graduated from Forreston. So I came back to my home district. And so she just, she just um, retired a few years ago. And I'm kidding. Wow. Stories back and forth and, and that about, I remember when we did this. And, and so, you know, it, that's, you, you have to, you have to allow the students to have an experience with the story to help them to remember it. And so that's what I try to do. I try to create things in the classroom. I try to bring in other ideas that, have you thought about this? You know, okay. And I, my two favorite words I want my students to always do when they're reading is I wonder. And so I encourage them while they're reading a passage, push it beyond that page, push it beyond what the author put on there. I wonder, I wonder what's gonna happen next. I wonder if the character would have done this. I wonder if, and. I keep telling them, if you do the wondering while you're reading, the story comes alive and then you are really immersed in that story and, and wow, you could do powerful things with it then. That's really fascinating. I'm trying to remember, you know, reading and those type of classes. And I feel like that was something that I wish that we talked about more was like, it, there's subtle ways to learn how to mine that subtext. To be able to connect to the text and not, I always tell my students, reading doesn't happen with your eyes. All your eyes do is bring the text to your brain. Reading happens in your brain and your heart. And you've got, you have to get both of those involved. You have to get both of those. You have to feel that while you're reading. And then magic happens. In 2020, 
I'm on my, we're all guilty of this. I'm on my phone 24 seven. Everyone is. And for younger kids, I can only imagine the just constant distraction and stimulus that it is. And for me with reading, you know, I'm not the fastest reader in the world. I wish that I were, I'm not that patient, but it really is this exercise in not just patience, but in that, that wonder that you're talking about and how rich of an experience that can be in 2020 even more so when I feel like constantly I'm trying to just get to the end of the page. I'm trying, I'm trying to dig there, but instead of doing that, I mean, like put my phone in another room and really just live with it and try to breathe into text for a little bit. We had, we, for the first time last year, our school um, did an all school read and we used a, a book called wish tree and it was so fascinating to see from kindergarten through fifth grade, everybody read the same story or had it read to them. Every staff member was involved in it. And that, that again, it was the perfect story for us because it, it delved into issues like acceptance of others. Um, it, you know, it, all of those things that are out there, but a story can bring it to us in a different way. It's not just a news clip, you know, it's not right. something in a newspaper. It's a more subtle vehicle for it. Yes. And it was just, that was that, I would have to say that is one of the highlights of my career was to see hundreds of people involved into one story. And, and we, and you talk in the hall with students from other grades and, okay, what do you think about that? And I thought, I never thought of that. I, I'm so glad you shared your, what you got out of that chapter. And again, that's what we need to allow these students to do is to share because a story is different for everybody who reads it. And, and so, so many times we try to cookie cutter our kids. This is the answer I want. This is the answer I'm trying to get you to. And you have to kind of free up from that. And you just have to say, what, what are you getting out of there? And can you defend that? Can you explain why or how that part of the story impacted you? And so the, it's the discussion part that I think is so important. And in the time restraints of a school day, unfortunately, that gets left out a lot of times. And you just have to sit and talk about it or write about it and allow them to explore and experience that passage their own way. Right. And especially at a younger level when you're still trying to figure out how you can articulate yourself in that way and feeling comfortable having an opinion and sharing it about it. Yes. That's one of the joys of fourth grade. They're able to start doing that. So. You mentioned that you are from Forreston. Yes. And Forreston is it's a small town. You know, I, I'm from a small town you know, in northern Illinois, too. And I think it's interesting. Did you always have that in mind? Is this just an opportunity that came your way that you it was just happenstance to, to come back? Because I think people often have really, I think especially in small towns, people have really interesting relationships to how they view it. What was it like for you coming back? Well, it, it was a journey to come back. It was, it's my first job. It's my only, you know, I've been in the same district all 42 years, which is, I don't think there's probably too many teachers who can say that. I've taught, oh. the, same, I've taught the same grade level all 42 years. <laughs> um, one year I did third and fourth due to budget cuts. I kind of did a, a multi-grade class, but I, as I was interviewing in the 70s, again, I, you know, some doors were closed. I didn't get those. I went to college in Iowa so I kind of looked around that area to maybe stay out there and to do and get there. Um, I, and I never did get a job. I was offered a job, an interesting story of I turned that job down 
And then I thought, why did I do that? But it got to be near the end of July and I didn't have a job yet. And all of a sudden the local district contacted me and said, hey, we have two openings. We have a fourth grade job and we have a junior high job. And I'm like, oh, fourth grade, that's always been my dream. And so I went in for the interview and that is one of the questions they asked me. I still remember that the, the superintendent of that time asked me, so you think you'll be able to handle being a hometown boy? Are they gonna see you as a teacher and not just, you know? And so I said, well, my, my goal is that they see me both ways, that I, I'm, a, I'm a hometown boy who wanted to come back and be a part of this community. And so uh, the, the principal who interviewed me was actually my first grade teacher when I had her. And so <laughs> connections were still there. And they offered, after the interview, they said, well, we're kind of thinking of you for the junior high job. And I'm like, of course. well, would you think about the fourth grade job? I'd like to do that. And so then they said, if that's what you'd like, we'll be glad to put you in that spot. And, and it's been that way ever since. But it wasn't really my goal to come back to the home, you know, to hometown. A lot of our, a lot of my colleagues are also forced in grads. Uh, there is something about, I think there's something about this district, something about the communities that make up our district that just makes it inviting to come home and, and, and welcomed back and like, thank you for coming back and being a part of our communities. It's really a very special place to teach. Speaking of stories, it's the full Odysseus hero's journey, right? You, get to, you, you had to leave in order to come back. <laughs> So, I, and I've, I've, I mean, I've had offers throughout my career, but you think about coming here, would you like about that? And I just look back on it and this was such the perfect place for my wife and I to raise our children. Um, it, it just was right. And, you know, a lot of people, when they look back on their careers, uh, and I've had some great friends who are like, Rod, I don't, I, you, we don't know what it's like to love your job because, you know, they don't always love their job and they, and that sort of thing, and like they're envious, and I'm like, it's it's just it was the path I was given. I've been blessed with this, and it's just is it has just been the perfect place for me to be. In the last two years, from me being an education reporter, I've run across a couple different places where I talk to teachers, and all of them seem to be from that hometown. They all seem to be graduates from that high school, whatever. Another one that immediately comes to mind is a bigger district. I, you know, in Rockford, I talk to people all the time and I'm always startled by the amount of Rockford teachers who grew up there and wanted to come back and, and do that for their community. I always think that's really interesting and in how that works and what is it about those places that, you know, what is it about Forest and that, that makes people want to come back? And I think that, you know, I'm sure that's a question that you've been thinking about for quite some time. It, you know, it is. And when I, I was a I went to school here and I was, I, you know, I did fine, but I wasn't what you'd call overly involved in school. Ah, uh, yes. I feel the same way. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of people who really probably didn't even know that I was a part of the school. Um, yeah. I always say that I, I, I was there for every event, but you know, you need spectators in life too. So I was more of a spectator in high school. Supporting role. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and now I, I, now I'm, I am cherishing my chance to be at the other side of that and to encourage others that I see them maybe, because I was kind of hesitant at some things. And I think that that's one thing I've been able to do is encourage the hesitant students to step forward a little bit and take a risk. I, you know, I, I tell my students, take a risk. Don't, I, I don't care if it's right or wrong. I, you know, my job is to find right in what you've said. Uh, I can find something, a nugget of truth in there that we can build on. So I have students, I have one little boy, he does such a fun, wonderful job with this. 
he starts all of his answers with, I'm not sure this is right, Mr. G, but this is what I'm thinking. And oh. I'm like, bless you, go ahead, <laughs> give it to me. And then of course, it's my job as his teacher to find something in there that we can build on so he knows it was okay to take that risk. Man, that is just the most Midwestern upbringing possible, right? I'm going to apologize before I say anything just in case I've offended you, right? <laughs> I love it, though, turning those supporting characters to a leading role, so, <laughs> so <Yeah>. to speak. <laughs> I just, we just had a conversation after school. I don't know how it happened in the hallway about those of us that have been teaching for a while about second generations coming through. And I've had a lot of second generation families come through. And I know that third generation is out there and I know some of them are even in the school. So the question is, are you gonna actually teach some of the grandchildren of the people that you taught you know, before? And like, I might, I might still be here. So that's kind of neat to still have those connections to those families. What a card to pull on some kid, right? I remember when your grandfather was in here. <laughs> well, I, I pull that every once in a while with my, our principal as also a former student of mine. And so every once in a while, like, hey, I remember you in fourth grade. You want me to tell stories? <laughs> I don't know if I would be fascinated or horrified if someone said that to me. Probably a little bit of both. I think that's the magic of it. <laughs> what do you think about your hometown? And from when you grew up to living in it now, does it feel more the same or more different than it was then? Does it feel still like the same forest? I, I think... Uh, I think it still feels more like the, the forest and I remember, really? you know, it's changed a lot, a, a lot in you know, back in time, there was so many of the same family and now families have become so much more mobile than before. But so we don't have a lot of the, you know, the families staying as much, but the feel of the town and what, what I've loved is, you know, a few years back, small towns were fading and there was the draw to the big city we've noticed a lot of our uh, professional young people who moved away after college and saw that they're starting to move back again. And they want to bring their children back to, to the, the town that they remember, the village that they remember. And so I, I think the sense of community is still there. We have to work a little harder at it, I think, because yeah. we don't all have those close connections that maybe we had before. Uh, but the sense of community is still there. I think that we might see that more and more now. And I think that the pandemic actually might have expedited that process. And I think that because it's like, A, internet access is is pretty ubiquitous at this point. So that's not as much of a hang up for a small town. But also even piggybacking onto that, that we've learned this year that so many of us can do our jobs remotely and do it from home, that the commute into the city isn't quite as essential or as we maybe thought that it was. And so I think that there could be more and more people that move back to their small town and want to live in a community like that because it's so easy just to do their job from the living room. It is. I agree. And I, I'm so glad that you said that because I think that's something that we all have to work on is to find the positives in this. It's way too easy to find the negatives in what we're living in. Right. We all know. So look at there, look what I'm able to do now. Thankful sometimes to technology. Now I can do this or, and I think we're starting to sense, let's appreciate what we do have and not concentrate on what's been taken away from us, shall we say? Yeah. I think that's part of our job at a school too, is to help our students to see that, that this, this still is life. This still is school. This still continues on. And let's not focus on, yeah, we have to pay attention to them, but let's not make that our full focus. Right. And just because 
we're all so abundantly aware of the negatives of it. I mean, it's, that much is very, very clear, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't silver linings, things that we can pull from this that might be able to make our lives better or easier in the future. So I hope we can define this time in history as finding the positives in it. I really hope so. I hope it doesn't just become a negative historical event. Right. And I think a big part of that is going to be in five years and 10 years and 15, 20, however long, when you start to see those stories about what it was like for people that are, you know, my age, for your age, and then also, like you said, those nine and 10 year olds and what it's like for them and the kind of stories that they tell about what living through this was like for them. Right. Yes. You know, one of the things uh, I was reading through the email that the person sent me that nominated you to be on our show, and I wanted to read you a, a piece of it and get you to react, see if you think that this is accurate, an accurate depiction of Rod. Tell me about this. So one of the things they said is, Rod's main focus is encouraging each child to reach their full potential in becoming a lifelong learner. Would you say that's accurate? Is that a pretty good, they got you nailed down pretty good? I think so too. In fact, to be honest with you, I just had that conversation day with one of my students. Because <laughs> um, she, she asked the, the ever-pressing question of, Mr. G, why do I have to know this? And so, uh, yes. so I go into, but you never know you have to, and, and I, you know, you never know when the, what this piece of the skill is going to help you. You never know when it's going to be important. You need to get yourself prepared. And and I, whenever I take a class, I love going to school myself yet and taking workshops and that. And I, tr I tell my students that because I want them to know that just because I've graduated with a degree doesn't mean I'm finished. It, I, there's still so much more out there where I want to learn so much more that I need. So that is deaf. That person. Wow. I, 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 it, I did not know what the person said about me, but yes, I think that is an accurate depiction of one of my number one goals in my classroom is I want them to know that we don't learn for the moment. We don't learn for today. We learn for what can I take? What can I take from this to help me through the rest of my life's journey? And I think that, you know, when we talk about, you know, why do I need to learn this? Why is this important? You know, maybe if you're in a 11th grade geometry class and now I'm a journalist, like I could say, okay, fair enough. Like, like maybe, maybe those kind of formulas, maybe slope intercept form doesn't help me a ton at this point. But for you specifically, I think stories and the way that we interpret and mine the subtext from it is very much something that is going to be a value forever in that like stories in general, the stories that we tell about the world we live in, our jobs, our families, the stories that we tell about ourselves is just how we interpret the world. What, one of my goals is always to help my students to learn a skill without them even knowing they're learning a skill. I want it to seem as natural I want it to seem as just, that's just what we do. And then we can reflect later on, okay, so what did we learn today? What, let's debrief. And they're like, wait a minute, we learned a lot. You're right, but you didn't even know you were learning. Double blind. <laughs> so that's kind of my goal. I, I like to sneak teach um, in, you know, so they don't even really know they're learning, but they're processing it and, and it's sticking with them. We love some subterfuge in our fourth grade. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. We've talked a bit about, you know, we mentioned the Christmas lights, trying to make it feel like home, like it's a safe, comfortable environment. And that's, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of place you want to curate is where people feel comfortable learning. I'm curious in this year, I mean, you, you said that it kind of feels like school things feel pretty normal, but 
Was it more of a challenge this year trying to create that atmosphere for people that feel safe and comfortable when there's just so much about this year that doesn't feel safe and comfortable? It is. It's it's a continuing struggle. It really is. We're, you know, we're living in every day is an unknown, which every day in a classroom is an unknown. But <laughs> there, there are a lot more unknowns. And so you, you, you have to go into each day knowing what you have planned for that day what you were hoping to get to, that may not happen because you have to address those unknowns that come in. You know, the days, I, I love the days where our technology goes out and all of a sudden you can't use the devices and you lose your Zoom friends and things like that. And then as I, I tease with the younger students, so now you know what it was like to teach in the seventies when we didn't have any of that. You know, you, that's when I think some of our greatest teaching goes. I do try to create an atmosphere. I like I'm hoping that my students sense that this is like the best six and a half, seven hours of their day, that they feel like they're appreciated. They feel like they're being listened to and their needs are being met. And that's why you try in an elementary setting, you try to create that home feel, you know, um, like a nest. They're, they're comfortable in my nest now. And I think that's one of the things during this year of, with everything going on with the pandemic, so many times they're being told it's not safe, it's not safe, it's not safe. And I'm hoping that my classroom is a safe zone. And then they can let their guards, you know, not, they still have to be careful, but they can change their focus and their focus can become to whatever we're working on that day and not those, the, the things that are, you know, being pushed into their face a lot. So, yeah. Rod, I just have a couple more questions for you, and we can kind of rapid fire these, and these are a little more open-ended, so interpret it however you will. When you think about education and, and, and what teaching is like right now, and everyone, of course, you know, from politicians to parents, everyone has an opinion on education of what they think that it should be and what it's actually like. Is there something for you that you think is more important? something about education that you think is more important than you think some people might realize or just an aspect of education that you think, or you wish people were talking about more? I, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is I, I wish people in general, even in the classroom, in the school, in the community, I wish we really listened to our children. I wish we listened to their perspective and then we can build on that. I think so many times we decide what children need and we forget them in that equation. And so I wish we all could just really listen carefully to what the students are telling us. Yeah, I did a story in, I believe, late August, I wrote that was where uh, it was in West Aurora, their school district had essentially solicited a, a, a survey from their elementary school kids asking them, you know, hey, what are your worries going into this unknown school year? What do you want? What are you concerned about? What do you think? And, and how did it go for you in the spring? When we were trying to figure all that out on the fly, what was it like for you? And I got to read a bunch of the responses, like in their own words from these really little kids. And I really hope, I just, I hope that that stuff is, that, that those, uh, that most school districts are asking those and soliciting because you read through them and you're like, these kids are five, six, seven, eight. These are really valid concerns they're raising. Like these, they they have something to say. So I hope that you know, like you said, that, that we're asking them how they feel and not just saying, "Well, they probably don't feel good." What well, would to talk for them? And I think that the 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 
best writing is children's writing because they know how to nail it. They know how to say exactly what they want to say in a few words. And we as adults think we have to flower it up and add all those extras. And children have a way of getting right to the point. Um, you know, if you ever want to know something, ask a child a question and they're going to tell you. And I like that. We lose that as an adult, I think. We're trying to be very diplomatic all the time. We write like I'm releasing a press release about a situation. Just cut right to it. <laughs> One of my other questions is, you know, I, I always hesitate and I always say that I hesitate to ask, like, what's the most important thing? Because I feel like that it puts a lot of pressure on you to answer, like, oh, my gosh, what's the most important thing? But when you think about some of the great lessons that you've learned about teaching and about education over the last 40 plus years, are there things that stick out to you? Well, that, that's a difficult question there, sir. Uh, <laughs> I, the things that stick out to me are when, when a student who has struggled for whatever reason, it could be that academic, they, they have some you know, struggles with their academics. It could be a home life situation. It could be whatever, but they're able to move beyond it and you see that success. And I think what it's probably the most important thing is as long as they're moving forward, you know, I, do, I don't always need the great big gains. I don't, I just want to see them moving in that direction. And, and I, that every day is an experience. Every day is a learning opportunity. And, and, and we need to make sure we keep pushing them forward. So I think that would probably be the most important thing. Am I guiding these children forward Right. Now, so many things have changed in, around the students that I've been teaching, but there have been some constants that have been there since I started in 79. Children are still curious. Children are still creative. Children still want to grow. And we have to encourage them on with that. And, you know, again, a lot of life has changed all around these guys. So it's since I started in the 70s, but that has been a constant. And that's what I look forward to every day when these guys come in my classroom, when they say, Mr. G, what are we going to do today? What are we going to learn today? Like, oh, you aren't, you got to believe what I have in store for us today. And so again, that hasn't changed. The, the mind of a child, oh, that's just, that's just such a powerful thing that we need to encourage it. We need to nourish it. We need to support it when, it when they need to be supported. But we also have to give them wings and we have to let them go. And so that's, you know, that's, that's I'm hoping, you know, that my students sense that. I'm hoping that, I know that our school encourages that wholeheartedly. I hope they sense how much I cared. Do you think that those, those, so those core parts of being nine and 10, that kind of curiosity, all of that stuff is kind of, for the most part, really similar when you think about kids in 1979 to kids in 2020, there's some core things that are just the same. There, I do. I, I, I really think that that curiosity, that um, creativity, that they don't want to settle. They, they're, you know, they're, they know that growth should happen. So they don't want to settle. Now, some of their paths that they want to know more about and curious about, I know nothing about. I remember a couple of years ago, a student told me that when they grew up, they want to be a YouTuber. 
And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. You know, so I, and I also want them to know every day I learn from them. And so that's part of their journey too, is look, I, I taught Mr. G something he didn't know before. And so I really do think that creativity, curiosity, a desire to grow, a desire to learn is innate in these children. And sometimes the world is kind of taking that away from them. And that's the job of a school to nourish them back into that again. Because if they're curious and they allow themselves to be creative, the skills are going to come. You know, the, 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 the passions are going to develop, the, whether it, they go the math way or the reading way or the science way or the arts way or YouTube or TikTok. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they're, they're teaching me quite a few new dance moves too, by the way. So <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Well, Rod, that was all I had for you. Thanks a ton for taking, you know, 45 minutes, 50 minutes out of your schedule and having a conversation with me. I appreciate this has been a humbling experience. Um, I appreciate being, being given the chance to tell my story. And I hope it encourages many people to enter this, the field of education. Uh, it, is just, it, it is just an unbelievable profession that you get so much more out of it than your students do. So I thank you for giving me this opportunity to share about that. Well, Rod, you and I are both in the storytelling business. <laughs> I could talk, I could tell stories forever, yes. So. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we get great guests like Rod, send them our way, teacherslounge at niu.edu. Wherever you're hearing this podcast, subscribe, leave a rating, share it, whatever you can do. It's the best way to help us so we get more listeners, more perspectives, and more educators like Rod. Big thanks to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the awesome music you hear. Shout out to Spencer Tripp for our Teacher's Lounge logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge in 2021. See ya.